See Beneath Your Beautiful podcast is raw and intimate, sometimes funny, and always entertaining. With new episodes every Saturday, Hara explores our loves, fears, and hopes with a delicious combination of depth and lightness. My name is Cindy Haval. I am a columnist and correspondent for the Spokesman Review and have been since 2006. I'm the author of War Bonds, Love Stories from the Greatest Generation that came out in 2015. And I've contributed to dozens and dozens of anthologies and books throughout the years. You have a new book coming out, right? Working title, Tiaras and Testosterone, uh, TNT. And it's a compilation of years of parenting columns and personal columns about being the only woman in a house of all men. It's a very different life. I know you have daughters. and I have good friends that just only have daughters. And it's like we lived on different planets. <laughs> I can relate, though, because I had three brothers. Oh, you know. And you were the only girl? I totally know. No, there was three girls and three boys, actually. Oh, wow. It was a little equal, but I do know what it's like to have a house full of boys. <laughs> it's crazy. It's different. <laughs> it's loud. So loud. I don't think I'm going to miss that. I just have one left at home. And yeah, but they all come home every week for dinner. So, <laughs> except one in Ohio. That is so wonderful. How did you manage that? You must be a great mom to have them come home every Friday. Well, I cook. They like food. So, I have one son in Ohio, and he's the father of my twin grandson. So, he's not here every week. But the other two boys are in town. My oldest is, I think, 31. And he makes it at least twice a month, but the third born one lives just about half a mile away. And then I have one at home. So we have family dinner every Friday or every Sunday, whichever works best. It's really nice. It's just nice to see them. And I love to feed people. That's kind of what I do. Cooking is therapy for me and setting a pretty table, even if the boys, you know, it feeds me. So feeding them feeds me. I could play a son. I like to be fed. <laughs> I have a lot of girlfriends who say, adopt me now. <laughs> That's funny. That's not my skill set. What's the hashtag for your grandsons? The world's most beautiful boys. Yeah, I'm kind of biased. But of course, one of my other sons says, wait a minute, I'm going to get married someday and I might have a son. I'm like, well, that hashtag has already been taken. I'm sure we'll, we'll come up with another one for yours. <laughs> How old are they? They are going to be two in November. So we're just getting ready in a few days to head back to Ohio. One last visit of the year. Was that the first book you wrote, The War Bonds? Yes. The book was actually my husband's idea. I write a series called Love Stories in the Spokesman Review where I interview people. They don't have to be long married. Just talk about their relationships, how they met secrets for a happy relationship. They don't even have to be married. I've interviewed engaged people or people that live together. Every time I wrote about a couple who met or married during World War II, the letters just would come in like crazy. And my husband said one night, we were talking about this latest couple, and he said, you know what, you should put all those stories in a book. It took five years to write and do the books. I interviewed, I think, 30, I can't even remember now, I think 32 couples just for the book. Most of them had run previously in the spokesman. But then I got to go back and reconnect and talk about their war experiences and had a great publisher and a beautiful design cover and hardback. I mean, it was a really good first time author experience. That's awesome. And how long have you been married? 
the COVID anniversaries, do they count? Because we were supposed to be in Hawaii, right, for our 35th. So I think we've, we got married in 1986. So we've been married 35 years, I think. In March, it'll be 36. Yeah, math's not my strong point. <laughs> no, me either. A long time. Is that a good love story or just a long time? I always tell my husband our love story is my favorite one. Awesome. Because it is, and it's not been easy. It's not all love and roses and all those perfect things that we see on Facebook. I mean, it's anytime you have a relationship that's long lasting and add kids into the mix, I always say, I wonder if people without children (laughs) don't have as much (laughs) conflict, right? But I don't know anything about that because we have kids. Anybody you've interviewed, they've all had conflict, haven't they? I mean, what's a love story without conflict? Absolutely. In fact, the one that just ran, I think, last week or the week before, they've been married 70 years. Just, I mean, 70 years. I can't even imagine that. We aren't going to see that because we all get married later, right? 70 years, unless we live to be 110 and who wants to do that? But she said, you know, they live in this retirement community and everybody always says they never fight. They've never had an argument. And the little old lady said, how boring would that be? You know, really? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So I did have three brothers and you have four sons. What was your house like? So loud. Oh, so loud. I'm actually an introvert by nature. So I really like quiet. And I was the youngest of four by six years between my sister and I. So I was basically an only child. They were all grown up and gone by the time I was in middle school. So I was used to just quiet. I mean, you know, when all of my siblings are together on my side of the family, it's loud and noisy, but just the household. And I wasn't used to boys because my brothers are 13 and 11 years older than me. Oh, yeah. So my idea of boys is, you know, they're like second dad. You know, all of a sudden I have these boys and my first one was super, super easy, which is, you know, I feel so bad for all the ones who come after that first four. <laughs> I always call them my practice child, you know. Yeah. You don't know what you're doing. And everything is so important. Your first child, you just make such a big deal about every little thing. And then his brother came along and I mean, they would fight and like tiny and hit each other and roll on the ground. And I'm like, oh, this is terrible. We have bad children. My husband's like, no, they're boys. That's what boys do. What's the age difference between all of them? I had my first three in five years and then a gap of five years and our youngest surprise. We thought we were done. We're so glad we had them. But boy, was that a surprise. <laughs> In fact, I still kind of hold a grudge against my husband a little bit. I try not to bring it up, but I mean, I was on the pill just saying, you know, if you want to get real, I just, there was no way I was going to have another kid and I never missed a pill. And I went for my refill and they said, you know, when was your last period? And I'm like, huh, I said, you should probably just take a pregnancy test before you give you another pill. And I go, oh, okay. They actually took me back to the lab because I said, no, I'm sorry. You got my urine mixed up with somebody else's. Took me back to the lab, had my name that I wrote on my little cup. This is yours and this is your pregnancy <laughs> test. And here's some prenatal vitamins. So I called my husband at work to say, you are not going to believe this. I mean, I was just stunned. I had my four-year-old with me and I told him, I said, I'm pregnant. And he laughed. He just roared. He laughed so hard. He was so tickled. And I hung up. Really? Click. <laughs> Were you hoping? Well, I don't want to ask if you're hoping for a girl. Don't don't answer me. Well, of course I was. And I was sure it was a girl. I'd given away <laughs> everything. 
I give away all the boy clothes. And so I thought, you know what? If God's going to surprise me with this unexpected pregnancy, I'm sure it's a girl. And so I bought everything yeah. pink. <laughs> and then we found out right at the very end. <laughs> we named her Samantha. And no, she was a Samuel. And my second son said, we don't need any girls in this family. He was six. And he said, it's Sam. And every night he would say, night, Sam, you know, to my tummy, he's like, got what he wanted. And now he has twin boys. So, <laughs> but it served him right to have twin girls. The youngest one, though, is young and is getting his master's. What's that about? Well, he did running start. And so he's been in college since he was 16. And he said, this is the first year he actually feels like he's enjoying the college experience. He's a graduate assistant, you know, in the graduate assistant program. So they pay him to teach and paid for a great deal of his final year of his master's. So we're really proud. He's going to graduate debt-free and I'll have an empty nest sometime. (laughs) (laughs) Probably in the next year. Then we'll see if it's really what I want because I've been wanting that empty nest for a while. But I've heard, be careful what you wish for. I did too. I kept saying, as soon as my youngest turns 18, I can go anywhere. And then I married a man with it. My stepson's 13 now. So that backfired. Oh my goodness. Your nest is not empty. (laughs) It's not empty, but also now that my girls are gone, I'm like, hey. (laughs) Yeah, but girls probably call you and talk to you, do they? I, you know. One does a lot. One. Well, one out of two ain't bad. One out of two ain't bad. The other one does perfunctory. Is that the word? Perfunctorily? Yes. I don't know the word. Check it in. The other one, <laughs> which is funny because she and I really butted heads as a teenager, but now we're very, very close. And so, you know, she calls me just to tell me everything. So that's good. That's one thing about my sons. I noticed even at this age, so Sam, the youngest at home is 22. And his brother's 26 and they still talk to me. They really, you know, they want to check in and tell me about their days and, you know, because they're not married and don't have girlfriends. So I'm still their person. And I think I'll probably miss that. Actually, I saw on Zach's post that he said the picture was for his mom, really. Yes. (laughs) I think it's you as a mom. What do you think of that? I'm not sure. I mean, I'm sure crazy about them and it hasn't always been easy, but um, I I have to say our oldest two were very, very difficult. And so the last two, we feel like we, we deserve (laughs) them because they just were easier and just temperament and just life choices, just easier, probably learned from their older brother's Mm -hmm. mistakes. Right. I mean, I was very intentional with parenting. Sometimes I think too intentional with the older ones. I think, boy, I was at home for 16 years. I mean, I wouldn't change it for anything. It was a a choice that we both made and it was sacrificial and I wouldn't miss it for anything. I'm just saying the first two were more difficult. (laughs) And the last two, when I was working a lot more, were less difficult. So I don't know, mothering or just you have more more outside interest. So everything is such a huge deal. Mm. Parenting is a huge deal. I mean, you're raising human beings. It's hard work. It's really hard work. Yeah. And here's the deal. I mean, I've talked about this a lot with friends my age is that you're so invested when they're little and you're at all their sporting events or band or whatever they're in. It's part of your life. And then they go off on their own. 
and you still worry about them. Only they're bigger things that you can't control. I mean, they're much bigger things. And as they grow, your your concerns get bigger, but the rewards are also, I mean, I have two twin grandsons. So that's pretty cool, right? The rewards are pretty good. You don't ever stop worrying about them, thinking about them and not an on off switch just because they move out. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. Did you always want to have kids? Oh, yeah. They always said, what do you want to be when you grow up? The first thing was always a mom. And then it was a flight attendant or a librarian, but always a mom with all of those things. I just love babies. I don't like kids very much, honestly. So when I had all these kids at home, the other moms in the neighborhood would try to get me to babysit, like do a daycare, because that's what a lot of at home moms do, right? And I'm like, honestly, I barely like I feel the same way. I feel the same way. Now you're going to be glad that they're in Ohio when they're their three-year-old twins. Oh, yeah. I never had terrible two-year-olds, but I had right? three-year-olds that were, I mean, were, I had gray hair still, I swear. <laughs> right. I said, why didn't they tell me about three? Why are they saying terrible twos? They should talk <laughs> about three. I was not prepared. Three-year-olds are great. Three-year-olds. Oh, my God. I was like, I made it through the twos, but three to four was the worst. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. I totally agree. I wasn't so great either. I'm not very spontaneous. I'm very orderly. So we had schedules and (laughs) routines, right? Bath time at the same time every night. But we seriously put our kids to bed at eight. And nowadays, you know, it's like pre-arranged children. They're just, oh, well, they're tired. They fall asleep on the floor. And then we put them, and I'm like, how would you survive? My husband, I couldn't wait to be alone. (laughs) I was a single mom. And honestly, my youngest, fell asleep after me. I'm an early to bed person. I can't stay awake. And she would stay <laughs> awake longer than me for her whole life. She's still that way. Oh yeah. My she, goodness. she doesn't fall asleep easily and I fall asleep too easily. So she kind of put herself to bed. <laughs> and you both survived. She's 22. She summa cum laude. Something worked. Something worked. Yeah. I don't take any credit though. <laughs> <laughs> That just honestly makes me feel a little uncomfortable. So Sam's, you know, he's going to be a, a master's degree at 22 and everybody says, oh, you, you must be so proud. You and Derek did such a good job. And I'm like, I think that's him. I mean, mm-hmm. Percy saw hard work and value of education in the home. But I just think I, it makes me feel uncomfortable when people say. I totally appreciate that because I don't take credit for my kids' successes. And I also say. Or their failures. That's what I say. Don't take responsibility for their failures either. I did the best I could and and somehow we all managed. (laughs) Yeah, that might be on my tombstone. I did the best I could. (laughs) We always had dinner at the family. I think that is why they come home because family dinner at the table was just part of their ritual. And it's the way I grew up. So that's the way I raised my kids. Yeah. Dad comes home, sit down to dinner. And so family dinner conversations with boys, I don't have girls, so I don't have anything to compare it to. But I finally had to make the, you know, no F words at the table. And that meant fart. And then I had no P words at the table, poop, piss or pus, because they all wanted to talk about those kind of things. And the belching, I swear to God. I mean, women burp, right? Uh, we, but not like men do. I'm telling you, I had disgusting brothers. I had one brother who used to come into our room, art, and leave. <laughs> and they think that's so funny. 
I think he probably still thinks it's funny. <laughs> we still have on Netflix, Mark, the, the history of farting. And I'm like, no, and this is what I'm really going to miss about sons not coming over is because they watch those things with my husband and I can go read, right? So our dinner table, I mean, they would belch, they would try to have burping contests. And I remember Zachary, when he, of his first day of, you know, kindergarten came home and Zach, what did you learn, you know, on your first day of school? And he thought, and he thought, and he goes, oh, and he jumped up from the table and he did armpit parts. I can do this. And his brothers are like, yay. <laughs> and he was just so proud to show that. His first word was burp, actually, at the high chair. And he wanted to burp like his brother. So he just yelled, burp. And we're like, oh, <laughs> his first word. <laughs> Did Sam get picked on a lot? He was born very, very sick. We almost lost him. What was he sick with? He was born with something called congenital diaphragmatic hernia. He was born in 1999 and we didn't know anything was wrong. I just had really easy births, you know, less than an hour basically at the hospital. And he came out and they were concerned about his breathing and did an x-ray. And within an hour after birth, he, he was born a holy family and he was airlifted to a sacred heart. Somewhere in gestation, all of his intestinal organs, there was a hole in his diaphragm. And they all pushed into the chest cavity. So he had no left lung, oh, wow. just one lung. And his blood pressure was skyrocketing. And at that time, it was an 80% mortality rate. Oh, wow. So he was really, really sick. And he was in the ICU for three weeks. He had surgery, I think, at three days to repair the hole. And then they push everything just back into the stomach cavity and hope it oh, works. Oh, my goodness. Well, that's not fair to have that. Plus, not a girl. And then the whole first year, just watching him all the time, just making sure he's breathing. And of course, then he got, yeah, childhood asthma and he's the one with peanut nut allergies. <laughs> there were definitely going to be no more after him. I can tell you that much. Both of our parents were in town. And so my husband's mother is just super active still in her late 70s jet skiing and skiing and they had a big property out in Chatteroy and so she was and always had you know convertibles and gave them soda pop you know so she was the wild grandma and then my mom lived not too far away and she was the cuddle cookie baking you know reading grandma Uh, oh they're so lucky yeah they had the best of both worlds that's awesome I want a cuddle cookie, Grandma. I want to be a cuddle cookie, Grandma. I need one in town to do that. (laughs) Oh, well, I think you are going to be, yeah. You were a stay-at-home mom, and then you became um, a columnist for the spokesman. And how did that happen? And I knew that I wasn't going to have any more kids. Got that taken (laughs) care of, and... Sam was about three and I was kind of coming out of that depression and feeling like, oh, he's going to survive. You know, I can maybe take a deep breath and I'm not going to have any more kids. And I had all these kids in all these different schools. I thought I really need something for me. And I would really like to earn income. Because when you have a lot of kids, you need some money. And living on only one income was really difficult. There were no Disneyland vacations, let's Mm -hmm. put it that way. I took a class at the community college called Write to Publish because I'd been writing for a newsletter. 
I went to a group called Mops, Moms of Preschoolers. And so I wrote this monthly newsletter and it would off, an article would often get picked up into the national thing. And one of my friends said, you really should be getting paid for that. And I'm like, maybe I could write newsletters or something about parenting. And so I went to this class and met a writing mentor who's still in my writing group, just was here yesterday. And oh, cool. she said, yeah, you, you need to look and see where to submit these, where you can get paid. And so I thought, well, the spokesman review had a, was a place where you could write in a, like a guest editorial, but it would be a personal essay. So not necessarily about politics or anything. And so I sent one in and she really liked it and said, you know, well, you have a writer's eye. It's funny when you hear those little things that stick with you. And I thought, maybe I can do this. So I sent another one in to a different section of the paper, the voices section. And that editor liked it. And I got checks in the mail. That was like the first thing. I think it was $60 for my first column. I'm like, oh, $60 that I earned in my basement, you know? So um, after I wrote that second column, I sent another one. And then that editor said, hey, you know, come downtown and, you know, meet for coffee. And Becky had already given uh, my writer's group like a tour of the newsroom and talked about the newspaper business. And then I met this editor for coffee and he says, I'll take whatever you can send. And would you like to um, interview people? I, I have this story and I don't have anyone to assign it to. And I, I never, I don't have a journalism degree. I didn't know anything about AP style, but I'm a pretty quick learner when it comes to word things, not tech things. But I said, sure. And I just started, it went from there. And then by 2006, they gave me the front porch column and just learned as I go. I learned a lot from editors at the time there who just seemed to have more time than anybody would ever do now to say, no, this is how we do it in this style and learning on the go and no looking back. <laughs> I started off in college with a journalism degree because like you, I was, you know, on the school newspaper and the yearbook and always was a writer. My mom was an artist and so she had big newsprint paper and I would make the Hara Herald and write. Oh my goodness. Write stories about all my siblings. Oh, did you save some of those or did your mom? I wish I had them. Oh. I have no idea what I wrote. <laughs> That'd be so great if you had them. I wish I did. But... My journalism professor, I write as I talk in fragmented sentences, and he did not like that. And it's not journalistic style. And so I changed careers to advertising because of him. Are you still writing or no? Oh, my goodness. I really gave, gave it up. And so I write sometimes on Facebook and I always get comments, but I think it's Facebook quality. So that's cool that you didn't even have a journalism degree and you still got to do it. That's wonderful. Still am doing it. So I still, you know, I have at least two stories every week in the newspaper and I've written for every section, including the sports section. I mean, that's to me, that is so hilarious. I've written for, you know, page one, I've written for sports. Well, a good writer is a good writer. So I have hired people to be designers and I don't ever think you need a degree. I think you need the ability. You have an eye for design. doesn't matter what schooling you had. So it's probably the same thing. I mean, if you can write, you can write. I just really think that's true. I think that I came out that way. I think I was raised in a house with lots of books. So reading was really, really important. So we all read, all four of us are avid readers. We read different things, but all four of us are just, we read all the time. And it's really fun. My sons are all readers, but they read different things. When my second son, who's now in Ohio, was in Texas for a while, and we all went to see him 
been, it had been like two years since all the brothers were together and they all were in the back of this rented minivan talking about what they were reading. I mean, talk about your mom's heart going, oh, I mean, so reading was important and therefore writing was important. I don't know any good writers who, who don't love to read. Do you have a favorite genre of book? I read the M&Ms. I love mystery and I love memoir. So I always have at least one nonfiction book on my nightstand and it's almost always a memoir. I just love reading about other people's lives. And when I say mystery, I guess they're more thriller type now. Pretty much those two. And I love Goodreads. If all social media went to hell, <laughs> like, you know, it did the other day, I would be happy as long as I could get to Goodreads. In memoirs, you like people's stories. Do you like also telling people's stories? I love telling people's stories. I truly love what I do. To me, that is so interesting. Everybody has a story and people will write and they'll say, oh, I don't really have, you know. And I'm like, yeah, you do. I mean, that's what you're doing. You're sharing people's stories. Yeah. I find it fascinating. And that's why I was saying I don't just edit out the breaths. I... You're editing and crafting stories. What do you enjoy about it, about the podcast? I think everybody has a story. And I think it's such a beautiful thing to listen to somebody and for them to be heard. Every time I edit the podcast, I don't know who's going to listen to it, but I feel like it's a gift for the person I've interviewed. Oh, yeah. Do you feel that way when you write the story? I mean, isn't it for the person? I mean, absolutely. There's a quote that says, once you know somebody's story, you can't help but fall in love with them or you can't help but love them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a real love fest. And that's one of the reasons I contacted you was because you write love stories, which I'm, I, you know, I feel like I could have love tattooed on my forehead. I'm just all about love, 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 love. <laughs> this has been great. I've enjoyed it. Hey, is there anything you wish I had asked you that you want to talk about? That's how I end all my interviews. Is there anything I haven't asked that you really feel would be important to be including? You are so smart. <gasps> oh, look at me being so smart. I'm getting good at this. It's always interesting to be interviewed rather than the interviewer. People are asking me questions and I'm like, but no, that's what I do. I like asking questions. Your story is interesting because it's yours. You don't see it just like everybody else. Or I enjoy being the interviewer, do you? Uh, yes, it's, yeah. Are you kidding? Yes. <laughs> well, I really did enjoy this. Thank you for your time. I appreciate well, I it. fun. Thank you so much. Oh, good. Me too. Well, thank you. I enjoyed chatting. All right. Bye-bye. Me too. Bye. <laughs> 